Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tinkser. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out, the kind to both employees and customers love and support. Thanks to BizSimply for sponsoring this episode as our show partner. And BizSimply is the all-in-one HR, workforce management, road and operations software designed and built by hospitality experts to make every shift run like clockwork. And we join forces to help the industry to find new ways to become even more innovative in how we lead our people, how we operate, to how we grow our businesses, to how we serve our customers. Together, we want to share strategies and tools that can make the industry thrive long-term, not just survive. Many people in a leadership role want to be the one who comes up with the answer. Many people in a leadership role want to get credit for the answer. We don't care. I would much rather have somebody else come up with the idea and be able to say, yeah, I work with that guy or I work with that girl. It's just different. And hopefully, I mean, we have found thus far that's very empowering for our people and it works in what we do. And I think our owners see that they gravitate to groups like us because we do enable our employees to do that. This is Kirk Peterson, president at Sightline Hospitality, a management company that brings together people, places, and possibilities to redefine hotel management. Kirk and I agreed that the vision for this conversation was to understand how Sightline Hospitality have used the crisis, the pandemic, to accelerate its performance by focusing on trust internally as the main driver. Kirk shares how the company has developed over the year and how they've redefined its purpose over the pandemic and how that actually helped them to get more clarity on and as well as direction where they were going. He also shares how they're working actively building a culture of trust through their people practices and he shares some of these unique touch points they have on their employee journey. We also discuss what the role of hospitality plays in making the world a better place and what big issues he would like to see resolved in the industry. Many great nuggets of insights and wisdom in this conversation. Before you tune in, don't miss out on this new free white paper we have done in cooperation with BizSimply. In this white paper, we are taking a deep dive into what Maverick leaders know and do. We call it the six tenets of agile hospitality. Six tenants every leader needs to survive and thrive in a new area of hospitality. So click the link in the show notes and get your free copy today. And now it's time to get over to today's conversation. Enjoy. I've been looking forward to today because the guest today, whose name is Kurt, we uh, went on the phone together just before he was going on holiday and I was going on holiday. And funny enough, we we're going to the same place. We we're going to Italy. <laughs> I think the whole world, the whole world's going to Italy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it was the funny thing. It was not just that we were going to Italy. It was actually going without our kids. And uh, that was the first time for both of us for a long time. But what we came down to in, in the vision for this conversation was it's not so much we're going to be talking about Italy. Maybe there's going to be some, 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 uh, analogs we already talked about one analog about italy uh is more that actually we had this you know shared vision about how can we actually you know make a conversation that's about how do we actually build 
a business that actually is as a strong business but still have a positive impact both on you know all the stakeholders involved and especially how do you actually create that employee experience that give that experience that that there needs to be run a very good business uh where the the shareholders win but also how can the customers win in that and how do you make that unique ecosystem of things working together and and kirk said i think i have some some answers on that so so that's the vision for today's conversation with that said welcome to the show kirk and uh and thank you so much for coming on thank you michael yeah that you don't don't set me up as knowing everything about everything because <laughs> i don't we're all learning every day but um no i i, I think as uh, as you grow you do learn um you know what helps and uh, or enables you to uh, grow more a more successful business. So thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Can you tell a bit about more about uh, you know sightline hospitality, the story, also your own story for that sake, and how that all came together uh, over the years, and and also what I think lots of people like to know to listen into this show is about why do you exist, what is the purpose, vision, and so on. Yeah, well, uh, as you can imagine, it's a uh, it's a long story. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll make it short here, but um, you know, I'm a I'm a hospitality guy from day one. Uh, you know, I think it was instilled in me by my parents. Uh, you know, I love to cook. I love uh, competition. I love uh, obviously hotels and everything about travel. Um, and you know, I I really decided when I was 10 years old, and you may, you may say that, wow, how can you know what you're going to do when you're 10 years old? But I literally told my parents when I was 10 years old that I wanted to be the general manager of a five-star resort. Uh, and I wanted to wear an Aloha shirt and walk around and make sure everybody was okay all day. Like everybody was having a good time. That, that's what I wanted to do. Um, and that really grew to you know me going to hotel restaurant management school in Las Vegas um having a you know just an unbelievable experience there being able to study abroad in japan being able to study abroad in switzerland uh so i got a real you know view of the world pretty early on um and i never looked back i i went uh, you know straight from college into a management training program uh straight from there to a real estate investment trust that was buying uh and selling hotels all over the country and uh, ultimately ended up uh, working for Morgan Stanley um, in Morgan Stanley's uh, real estate funds. Uh, you were overseeing hotel acquisitions, asset management, uh, and really working with owners in the hotel space. And that led me to a very small company that was headquartered in San Francisco uh, by the name of Charters Lodging Group. And I fell in love with their people. Right. And we talk we talk so much about, uh, you know, why do you do the things that you do in life? And it all to me, it always comes back to the people. And I'm sure we're going to touch on that a lot in this conversation. Uh, but I fell in love with the people, uh, both the the owners of the company, as well as, uh, you know, the people that were on the ground and, and the culture that had been created there. And it was really a platform to invest in hotels. Uh, but they also had this uh, little company called Kukua Hospitality, which was a little management company. And uh, so when I was working with Morgan Stanley, uh, you know, I was trying to figure out what my next move in my career was. And I really wanted to build something. And uh, I was going to move back to Washington, D.C. and work with another real estate investment trust. And the chairman of this smaller company came to me at lunch one day and he said, you know, I've got a better idea. Why don't you just leave all of that rat race and why don't you come, you know, come join us 
and you know we'll grow this thing and we'll have fun together. And uh, I think him saying we'll have fun together was a big draw. Um, yeah, because when you do work for those larger institutions, you get caught up in the everyday and the, and the rat race, right? And I remember, you know, commuting into New York City from Connecticut and, you know, taking the train in every day and walking across town. And in the summer, you're sweating profusely. In the winter, you're freezing. And, you know, it's just it, you, you get caught up in that. And so I, I left that and uh, went to join these guys, um, charters, that is, as their chief investment officer and chief operating officer. And we started buying hotels and uh, we had some great partners and we did about two billion uh, in, in hotel investments. Uh, and then we decided that we had this little management company uh, that would run all of the hotels for charters. And the management company would have to uh, shift uh, on a dime when the ownership group would sell a hotel and they would sell it unencumbered by the management contract. So now you had all of these people in a corporate management role that didn't have properties to manage. And so we thought, well, that's not a good idea, right? You can't sustain a, uh, you know, a business in, in the management space uh, without having assets to manage. So uh, I left the charter side of the business and moved over to the Kukua side of the business to really grow that management company and separate it from the ownership group and become a pure third-party management company. And uh, we, we did that in 2016, late 2016. And uh, so we started growing. We were, I think we were at seven hotels at the time, uh, but the ownership group was selling a number of those hotels. And so we, we decided that it would be really good for us to go out and find a, uh, another management company that operated in the more boutique independent lifestyle segment because the consumer trends were shifting, right? And historically, this Kukua uh, and, and Charters Lodging Group had focused much more on very institutional, larger uh, you know, assets, a lot of branded assets. And so we saw the consumer wanting these unique experiences. Right. They wanted boutique. They wanted lifestyle. Right. There are a number of different names for it. Um, but we decided that going out and finding a partner or another management company who only operated those types of hotels and merging that with a company like uh, Kukua that had all that institutional experience would kind of be the best of both worlds. And so we did that. Um, we merged with another company called Filament Hospitality, and that was in late 2019. We actually went to the lodging conference uh, at the end of the year in 19 and told the world we were creating this management company called Sightline, and we were going to focus on unique experiences and connecting people with places and possibility, right? And it, it sounds cliche, uh, but that's, that's really what we felt the consumer was looking for. And, you know, we also saw the brands out creating all of these quote unquote soft brands. Right. Marriott was creating Autograph and Tribute and Hilton was creating Curio and Tapestry. Right. And these were brands, uh, you know, Hyatt was doing the same thing, but these were brands uh, created to allow the owners of buildings to deliver a unique or different experience to their consumers that wasn't cookie cutter like the brands had historically been. And so we created a management company to cater to that. And that's what Sightline does. Uh, I tell you, we launched it at a very difficult time, right at the end at the end of nineteen. I mean, we we got all of our shirts printed, and we had all of our materials ready, and 
we got into our business plan for 2020 and then the world blew up on us uh, in, in 2020 and we went through some really, really difficult times, but we've come through those times. Things look much, much better. We have a ton of traction and we're doing some fun stuff. So that's kind of the history of, of, of me and, and how Sightline came to be. And how many how many hotels do you manage at, at the current time? Yeah, so we're working on 25 projects now uh, from New York City to Waikiki Beach. So uh, quite a bit of uh, territory there. Um, and, uh, you know, all of them are unique. Uh, you know, we have we do have some branded hotels, uh, like the largest Hyatt place uh, in, in the system at 426 rooms in Waikiki. The largest holiday holiday inn in the system is 600 rooms uh, in Waikiki. Uh, but then we've you know we've managed 24 uh, yoga, you know, room yoga inspired uh, you know retreats uh, in Maui. Uh, I keep on mentioning Hawaii. You see, we do a lot of work in Hawaii. Um, but it just it really it really varies. We do branded stuff. We do independent stuff. We've got hotels uh, you know out on Long Island. Um, you know, in Soundview Greenport, you know, at 55 rooms. Uh, we just opened a unique hotel with Todd English, uh, the celebrity chef in Las Vegas. Uh, that's 74 rooms. Uh, so there's a real range uh, in size of asset and type of asset that we manage. Uh, but the, the, the key focus in every one of those assets is to try and create a unique experience or something different than you would get in a cookie cutter hotel uh, you know, anywhere else in the country. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. That leads me to the next question I wanted to ask you about. So how do you actually, you know, you had this different, unique approach. You had a different purpose, a different vision about how this could be done. Can you tell a bit about, because you're not the only management company in the world, but what, why are you different and what is it that you do and how do you live that purpose, vision and mission on, a, on an everyday level in these very different assets? Yeah, well, I, I think it comes down to flexibility. Um, and there is no one way to do things in the hotel space. I think you, you find that in, in many other businesses. But I think more so in the, in, in the hotel space or hospitality space, because it's changing so fast. Uh, you know, food and beverage trends are changing. Employment trends are changing. Uh, you know, lifestyle technology is changing. And hospitality has to be, uh, you know, at the forefront of all of those things. Uh, you think about all of the uh, technology that you have in your home. When you go and stay in a hotel, you'd like to have all of that same technology. If you don't, you feel like that really isn't a great experience. Uh, somebody isn't taking care of me. They're not making me feel at home uh, when they come and stay here. So in the hospitality space, we have to be at the forefront of a number of different trends. Um, so as a management company, we, me personally, um, you know, I, I try to surround myself with people that know a heck of a lot more about trends than I do. Uh, I like to say that I know everything about trends, but I don't. Uh, and as I get older and older, I need to surround myself with younger people who understand new trends. Uh, and you have to be willing and, and flexible uh, enough to change and ownership groups are looking for the same thing, uh, I think, Michael. They want a management company that doesn't say it's our way or the highway, right? We are a pure third party. We operate the hotel that an owner owns. Many owners that we work with have created their own concept because somewhere or sometime or somehow in their life, 
they came up with a concept that was interesting to them that they wanted to put into a hotel. And so they come to us and they say, Kirk, can you help us execute this concept? Uh, and we absolutely do. Um, you know, we're working on a resort in, in Joshua Tree, you know, California right now that is going to be constructed using only containers. The registration area, all the rooms, the pool, the bar, everything is made out of containers. Have we, have we done that before? No, we haven't done that before. But will we do that? Absolutely, we'll do that. And we'll figure out a way to market it and uh, make it really appealing to the consumer. And it's because that owner has a vision and we're going to execute on that vision. So it comes down to flexibility and, and that leads to our people having to be extremely flexible as well, right? We've, we've got operating uh, you know, VPs and revenue managers and sales and marketing folks that have to understand how to market a typical Hyatt place or, or, you know, Holiday Inn Express. But at the same time, they need to understand how to run a luxury resort, right? That that's independent and, you know, has a totally different feel. And then they also need to understand how to run a skate park and a, a bouldering gym in a very experiential hotel in Salt Lake city. So our operations team wears many hats and they have to be extremely flexible with different owners and different concepts. Uh, so, I think you're you're seeing it's a lot of fun, but it's not easy. Um, so we are very, very unique in that we're extremely flexible, and we help owners define their own brands. We don't define the brand. The owner defines the brand, or the brand has defined the brand, and we come in and we just operate it. Yes, I was thinking, Greg, when you're saying that also, that's where, you know, you say you operate it, you're delivering that service for them, you make it, you know, you make the vision, you bring the vision alive. But what do you do with inside when it comes to your, you talked about, it's all about the people, about the people practices. What is it that you're doing then to, to build, you know, if you want to achieve the outcome of your culture should be flexibility, as you said. How do you do that? And how, how do you make that happen? Because again, you know, it, it's tough to be flexible. It takes a lot of brain power and energy to, to create flexible or people that works flexible. Yeah, well, I, I think it, there, are, there are a couple of things that you can do. Um, you, you, you have to build a team at the senior level first, right? Because everything in my mind, it trickles down. If I don't act that way, nobody else is going to act that way. Um, I would not be able to go out and represent this company without my chief operating officer, Phil Tofano. Phil is the heart of our operations team. Uh, everyone looks to him for the answers. Um, but, but Phil is a very unique individual uh, in that he doesn't pretend to have all the answers. He empowers his team to come up with the answers. And uh, he does what he says he's gonna do. He's extremely honest, he's you know, trustworthy. Our owners love him for that. But I think his employees love him more for that. Um, and so you, you, you establish this culture and Phil and I talk about it all the time. I have to go out and talk to uh, you know, owners and the public about it. Phil has to talk to the employees about it, right? Like they, they have to get it done on a daily basis. And, uh, you know, you, you have to rally people around your idea and your culture. And if you get them to buy in and you stay true to your vision and you treat people with respect, it sounds so easy, Michael, but it is that easy. 
if you treat people with respect and listen to them and allow them to have a voice, they, they follow you. And, uh, and, and that creates a real family-like environment. Uh, you know, we were at a, last week, we we're at a fantasy football draft for our, our, our team. Uh, and, you know, we sponsor, you know, a, a league for, you know, our employees at the corporate level. And one of the employees came up to me, and this is a guy who's been working with me now for 15 years. And he said, Kirk, when I was out sick this last year, it was really scary for me. But the thing that I always knew I could count on was that when I came back to work, I was going to have the support from my family, my work family. And I didn't worry about it. It was okay for me to be gone. Everybody was going to pick up the slack for me. You don't find that everywhere, Michael, and that makes us very unique. Now that he's back and he's doing you know, really well, I call on him and I know when I pick up that phone and I call on him and if it's something challenging, he's going to figure it out and he's going to figure it out because he's committed to this family. He's committed to this team. He's committed to the vision, uh, but it goes both ways. Uh, you can't expect uh, your employees to treat you with respect if you don't treat them with respect and, and try to be as understanding as you can possibly be with them. And I, th- I was thinking that that's a very beautiful way of saying it, because that's, you know, when you get to that point and you get people coming up and saying that, then you, you know, and, you, and they're saying it authentic as in this situation, you, you just know that we got something right. Is there any like key systems you use in your journey as you you take your employees on that journey? They're joining you, staying with you for 15 years, uh, are there like key touch points in your employee experience journey you do that you know this is this is why it works you know because we are we are true to these concepts yeah well i think uh, there there are two types of employees right that you have your corporate team um, you know that is disseminating that message down to the property level and then you have uh, all of the individuals working at the property level And, you know, we look at the property level, our general managers are the CEOs of their own business, right? And they have the power uh, to enable their team to do what they need to do to execute on a business plan. The corporate team is really there to support that effort and to drive, uh, you know, our culture through there. It's much more formulaic, I think, at the property level than it is at the corporate level. Uh, meaning when you join the company, you you get your employee manual, you get you know all of those materials that tell you who you work for and what we stand for. Uh, when you join us at the corporate level, it's a little bit more than that. Um, I, I think you you get all those manuals, right, that, that HR is required to provide to everybody. But at the same time, you are really welcomed into the fabric of the family or the family culture that has already been created. And we try not to mess that up, Michael. And we work really, really hard not to mess that up. Uh, but we do, we do things like annual, uh, you know, barbecue competitions. Uh, you know, the fantasy football league. We go sing karaoke together. We do we do a lot of these things that really bring the team together outside of work that enable us to get to know each other more than just what it's like to know somebody in a work environment. And uh, you know, I, I will tell you some people don't like that. And we find that out really quick after they've joined a corporate team and we have that conversation. And sometimes that leads to them opening up a little bit more and, you know, becoming uh, more engaged with that corporate team. Other times it leads to us helping them 
find another opportunity somewhere else that will be better for them and their long-term you know, career goals. Uh, so it, it just, it depends on the individual, but I think we try to stay unique in that everyone on our corporate team knows that they have a say in the business. Every one of them. They're not afraid to speak up. They're not afraid to, uh, you know, to congratulate, but they're also, you know, not afraid to say this isn't working right. And how do we make this better? And they don't just rely on me or, or Phil Tofano uh, to, you know, to see that or to uh, discover that and then to make the change. They know that they have the ability to help make that change and to see that change. Why do you think they, they, they feel like that? What, what do you think you have done very, you know, conscious or unconscious to, to achieve that? But both, both you and Phil, I guess here. So. Yeah, I think there really isn't a, a hierarchy to our structure, right? I may be a president and Phil may be a chief operating officer. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, like, you know, I, I'm on the phone with our business development team constantly, right? But we don't, we don't talk like I know more than they know. I, I think there's, a, there's just this built-in trust that I want to learn as much from them as they want to learn from me. Uh, I think the, the biggest difference is that, you know, I've, I've been doing it for 30 years <laughs> where, the, where they haven't. Uh, and so I'll be able to, you know, insert some experience, um, you know, through, you know, having done a deal like that before, having seen an owner like this before, or suggesting, hey, maybe it could be more profitable if we looked at it this way. Uh, but I think that's just, that's in all of us. Uh, so there isn't, you know, it's, it's funny, it's sometimes I wish we did have this, but there isn't that one guy or, uh, or, or gal that walks into a room and says, nope, it's going to be like this. That's not our culture. Uh, if we're sitting in a room, ultimately, uh, you know, the, the decision will come down to me or, or it will come down to Phil. Uh, but I think we try to get there in the most collaborative way as we possibly can. I would much rather somebody else come up with the answer than me. Many people in a leadership role want to be the one who comes up with the answer. Many people in a leadership role want to get credit for the answer. We, 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 we don't care. I would much rather have somebody else come up with the idea and be able to say, yeah, I, I, I work with that guy or I work with that girl. Um, so it's just, it's just different. Um, and, and hopefully, I mean, we have found thus far that that's very, that's very empowering for our people and it works in what we do. And I think our owners see that, uh, and it, it, it gravitates, you know, they gravitate to groups like us, uh, because we do enable our employees to do that. As you were talking this, I was thinking about, um, Jim Collins, the, the famous management guru from the States. He talks about a uh, level five leadership where he talks, there's the genius with a thousand helpers. And then there's level five leadership where you just ask questions to the organization and you don't make any decisions. That's the last thing. If you have, if it's a life and death situation of the organization, of course you need to make a decision, but you should actually, as you said, avoid to take those. I don't know if you're inspired from that, but it's very much sounded like that kind of leadership philosophy of uh, freedom to operate, I also call it, but within question, answering the questions that's been asked. Yeah, I, I think uh, maybe we're at a four and a half <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and, and then try and trying to get to a five. Um, but no, I, I, I do. It, Listen, I think that was instilled in me 
from my childhood, um, you know, and, and seeing how my parents, uh, you know, worked with others and, and how they listened really well. Uh, and it, to me, it comes down to respect. Uh, it doesn't matter what level of, uh, you know, ranking you are in a, uh, you know, in, in a corporate hierarchy. Uh, I, I would, you know, I wish there wasn't a corporate hierarchy, but there, there, you know, ultimately ends up, you know, evolving at, at some point in time or showing its, its head at some point in time. I wish it didn't exist, um, but if you can enable employees to make decisions, uh, especially at a corporate level, you're hiring professionals. You know, I think of like our head of sales and marketing. Well, we hire her because she's an expert in sales and marketing. I shouldn't be the one making decisions on sales and marketing. She, she should be making decisions on sales and marketing. But to your point, uh, I often have a million questions as to, well, why was there more click-through on that website versus this website? Can we learn from that? And should every website be like that website because they're getting more click-through on that website? Uh, to be able to ask those questions, I think, is, is the um, you know, secret sauce of a good leader. Uh, and, but it's not making all of those decisions. Well, I think what you're talking about there, um, I saw somebody recently shared also a quote from Stephen R. Corey, and he talks about a fundamental and seven habit of highly effective people. He talks about that ability to seek first to understand to be understood. And I think that's actually often what we forget, especially when in crisis mode, as we've been through as a, as an industry. You you think you are the you have to get back out of that war hero mode where you actually it's not life and death anymore. Now it's like building building the future. It's really interesting. Well, I, just on that point, I was I was sitting with Phil uh, over the weekend, and um, he said uh, we we were talking about different owners and we we're talking about different uh, uh, you know uh, management teams. And he said, you know, about 60% of my job is Phil the therapist. I, you know, and he was referring to Dr. Phil. Um, and a lot of what we do is listening, right? And providing that guidance. Uh, it's not the action of, you know, the execution. It is listening and giving direction. Uh, but yeah, he, he often finds himself being Dr. Phil. Uh, and it's not a small part of his role. It's a large part of his role. And it's not just with employees, it's with owners as well. Um, so, yeah, I think you, you have to have that to be a good leader. Um, what about growth? Because you talked about like, you know, you, you, you hit, the, hit the knockout with the pandemic hitting your, your plan and was knocked out a bit. And then you're back up on your feet again. And now it's going very fast. What is your approach to growth and being able to, to keep the, you know, the culture you talked about before? Because there's always the questions about... What can the culture actually, you know, how, how quickly can the culture grow? Uh, because you can probably add hotels on every week if that's what you wanted to do. Well, there are a lot of management companies that have grown through acquisitions, right? And that's really the easiest way to grow. Uh, we, we have not done that yet. Um, uh, I won't say that we'll never do that. We could do that. Uh, but I think, you know, through or up to this point, we have decided to grow through reputation and word of mouth. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate that I have, you know, a number of connections within our space because of the experiences that I've had. Uh, I would tell you, Phil is the same way. Uh, our chairman, uh, you know, is the same way. Uh, so 
we really try to take care of the clients that we have in the portfolio because that leads to more deals in the future. Uh, we have you know, had the opportunity to go out and hire three or four more people in business development. We haven't done it. Uh, I really lead the business development effort and uh, I see every owner. I speak to every owner. I see every pro forma. I deliver every pitch. Um, and that's on purpose. Uh, and that's to maintain that culture and to really instill that in our owners that we're working with. Um, so we've on purpose stayed that way. So we, listen, if we bring on five to seven new hotels a year, that's a, that's a very good year for us. Uh, and to keep that steady pace enables our current team to just add on a few widgets, right, to enable them to take on more assets and more assets. Um, and it doesn't require a, uh, you know, a huge hiring process to bring people into the culture all at once to get them up to speed on who we are and, and how we operate. So we, we've done that somewhat, you know, on, on purpose, uh, and it's been very natural. Um, you know, the projects that we're working on now they're going to transform us uh, or the the uh, vision of what Sightline is uh, and only magnify how unique and different we are as an operator uh, based on the new products that are coming online. Uh, there's some really fun stuff uh, that we're working on and uh, we get excited about it every day. Our operations team is excited about it every day. We're trying new concepts. We're trying to figure things out. We're trying to become more efficient, but at the same time, provide a more unique experience for the consumer and make the owner money while we're doing this, right? At, at the end of the day, the owner's hiring us to make a profit. Uh, so we have, we always have to keep that in mind, right? We can, we can deliver extremely unique experiences, but unless we're profitable, we're not going to be in business. Uh, unless our owners or our properties are profitable, we're not going to be in business. So we have to constantly balance, you know, does that make sense? Uh, for the business? And are we getting enough on the top line to be able to cover the expenses associated with delivering that kind of experience? It's really interesting because also this, you know, because you need to stay in business to do things that's bigger than just profit. So you need to stay in business. I think it was uh, Danny Meyer that said, uh, how do you take care of your people when you go out of business? I think he said that during the, the pandemic. And that's a really good question to ask yourself as a CEO at that point. But actually now it's also about how do you actually stay in business so you can keep on giving people these these opportunities if you turn around. But how, how do you see, you know, because, you know, hospitality and in my view in all areas of hospitality is like almost refining and defining itself, you know, uh, as we came out of the pandemic and all the consequences has been on the back of that. And now we're going into a new challenging era and there's one thing after the other, as we talked about uh, before we went live. So what do you think, what role does hospitality play in this world and trying to make it a better place? Because we all are hungry for a, a bit easier life because people are a bit trapped and tired. Yeah, well, I think uh, when I mean, we've seen the pent up demand, um, you know, post post COVID, if we're if we're in a post COVID world right now, some would argue that we're not. Uh, but we've seen this pent up demand. Uh, and I think it's, it's in us as, as humans to want to explore, uh, to see new things. Um, and so you ask how hospitality connects the world, we're a catalyst to 
connecting, you know, people from uh, different cultures and, and places and, uh, you know, connecting them to the people of a new place. Uh, and, and so we're, we're just a vehicle, right, to get people from point A to point B. Uh, but I think if we can be a little bit more than that and give them uh, some insight into that culture or to that place, then we've won, right, as uh, hospitality professionals. It's not just about laying your head down and getting a good sleep, which is Hospitality 101, uh, but it's, it's more about making that consumer feel good about the choice they've made and where they're staying because they feel a connection to that culture, that place, the people of that place. Uh, and if you feel that connection, you know, then, then you've experienced something unique and you take that with you and it never goes away. Right. So I, I think we have the opportunity to, um, you know, to, to give people those experiences and, and those visions that will never escape their minds, um, which is really pretty unique, right? And, and being able to impact people in that way. Uh, so I think we are connecting the world uh, in a way. And hospitality has been doing that forever. And I think we'll continue to do that. Uh, we're, we're at a very unique crossroads uh, in, in hospitality, though, and that we're, we're still trying to figure out what the consumer wants. And, you know, if you would have talked to me, you know, even three or four years ago, it was really about technology, right? And the consumer wants con connectivity, right? And they, that, that internet speed better be great. They better be able to stream on the TV, right? They better be able to check in with their phone. They better be able to do all these things that were really related to technology, right? The ease of booking, right? You've probably heard people talk about, you know, two, two clicks and you've purchased something or two clicks and you've booked your room. Uh, that was really important to people. But now we look at all of these brands that are emerging and becoming extremely popular and they're throwback brands, right? They're bringing the 70s back, right? They're bringing the 80s back. And, uh, you know, you're, you're naming things uh, you know, names that resonate with periods from before. I think the consumer is, is now looking at these throwback brands and saying, wow, that's unique and fun and, and, uh, and, and old school. Um, and and I, was, I was mentioning, you know, naming of brands has really gone, uh, you know, to throwback names. Uh, and that's become, become really interesting. So, the con, you know, the consumer is wanting technology and they're wanting all this, you know, forward looking stuff. And, uh, you know, we're going to go to space and we're going to bring people to space and there's going to be hotels in space. But at the same time, uh, all the throwback brands have become really popular and people love the old school stuff. Uh, so, you know, look at vinyl records and how they've become popular again. And, you know, hotels are putting, you know, record players with vinyl in the rooms again. And that's become really fun. Uh, so. We're, we're at a really unique time where the consumer is dictating what they want, uh, right, and, and what the product is going to be. Uh, but the consumer is a little bit all, all over the place, right? And so uh, figuring out who you are as a brand and catering to that consumer, uh, you know, that wants your brand is the challenge. Uh, and that's how we market. And that's, you know, there's a lot of data out there that tells us who wants our brand and who our consumer is. 
and there are very unique ways to get to that consumer. Uh, and that's that's the challenge. That's that's what we're working on every single day. It's the algorithm uh, that shows us, you know, where to find or where to get uh, or attract that consumer that's looking for our brand. That's not my expertise. Uh, you know, I, I there there are people on our team that that focus on that every single day, uh, and they amaze me, right? Because that that's a that's a new technology. That's a new way of uh, operating a business. Uh, but we've got some really great people who do that uh, as experts in their field. Um, but the consumer is driving that, right? And, and we're trying to we're trying to be an operator of multiple, you know, product types. Uh, but ultimately, we're trying to be an operator for owners that are appealing or creating products that appeal to different kinds of consumers to make money. Right? <laughs> That's what we do. It's very interesting you talk about that consumer in flux and you can almost take it over to the the employee as well in flux. We're all a bit in flux because we've been in this situation for a long time where there's one thing after the other hitting us in our private life at work. There's all this flexibility change, you know, and and we're quite resilient. I think uh, we talked about uh, uh, before the, the conversation as human beings, we'll, we'll just find a way of rise to the challenge. But if we take that into the industry as well, what is the, is there like an issue you would like to see? You know, I would love that to see if we've resolved that issue, that one thing, then we'll be in a better place as an industry and we actually be able to, to, to cater both for the customers and the employees, which is our job in the end of the day. I, I don't know when it happened, but it has happened in that uh, working in the hospitality field has become less glamorous than it was. And uh, I, I don't know the answer, Michael, um, but I think it, it starts it starts with training uh, you know, younger people uh, to have passion for the hospitality space. And yeah, they're still out there, uh, but not like they used to be, right? It, it used to be uh, you know, it's almost like you look at an airline pilot, it's it's the same thing, right? It used to be extremely glamorous to be an airline pilot. It used to be extremely glamorous to be a general manager of a hotel. There were all these perks that you got, right? And, and there was this little world, right? Underground world uh, that you belong to. And that we've gotten away from that uh, somewhat. And I think a lot of that has been replaced by by technology. Um, but the the employee, I find, just isn't as excited about working in the field of hospitality as they used to be. And so I think it's it's on us as leaders in the hospitality space to continue to develop product that the employee is happy with or excited to work with, right? Create a unique bar concept, create a unique you know, food concept uh, where the employee can get excited about their job because they're involved in something new and they can make money. Right. So many employees have left the space because we haven't paid them enough. Right. They can go somewhere else and make more money. Uh, And I think the pandemic has has started, uh, you know, that shift in in paying our employees. And, you know, our owners are seeing less on the bottom line, uh, but our employees are making more money and we're able to take care of them. Uh, you know, better and they're able to live a better life. And so I think ultimately that's going to come back to them being happier and them providing a better experience for our consumer. And all while this has been happening, look what's happening to average rates, 
across the globe. They're going up, right? So the consumer is paying more to get that experience uh, because now they have to cover an increase in costs, right? That have happened, uh, you know, through the pandemic and will continue to happen. So as operators, we need to continue to deliver unique experiences that the consumer is willing to pay for. Quite interesting because it's a bit like anything else. You need to invest before you can get. And as you said, there has been a, maybe in some areas definitely a lack of investment on, on just paying what's needed to to live a good life. And therefore, when the tough gets tough, that's when you say, "Well, I got to go over and try that over there." If that's working for a tech company or Amazon or whatever it is. Five years ago, we had owners that didn't want to provide benefits for the employees. Zero benefits. We have terminated those owners, <laughs> right? And you know, obviously, most of the time it's the other way around, where an owner has the right to terminate. But we we decided that we weren't going to work for owners anymore that didn't provide employee benefits. Um, <clears throat> and and so I think the world is changing in that way. And I know those owners that we used to work with, they're providing employee benefits now um, through through those platforms. So. I do think it's changing, um, and we we have to remember that the people who actually get it done, Michael, are the people on the ground. Uh, it's it's those it's those employees. What have been your learning as a, the human or business leader in the, in the last two years? Because a lot have shifted just in the last two years uh, in the you know post post pandemic, if we can say so, and still a bit into the pandemic if we go two years back, but it's like one moment where you thought this is going to shift everything in the way I think about, you know, being a human or business leader. Well, I, I think I've learned that, uh, you know, there, there, are, there are loyal people everywhere and loyal people, no matter what the situation is, will continue to fight for the cause. Um, I, I think the pandemic really taught me that our employees are committed. They're extremely committed. And, you know, like we, we don't have a, uh, a formal corporate office anymore. We have a location where employees can go uh, if they want to have quiet, uh, you know, peace, a quiet, peaceful work environment. But they're not required to go there anymore. And, you know, we just talked about it yesterday and we continue to think, well, it's going to come back. It's going to come back. We're going to require all of our people to come back to the office. And we just said, no, we're, we're not. Uh, and we don't need to because we trust and empower our employees to do the right thing. And uh, I think pre-pandemic, there was less trust. There really was. Uh, but our employees have really risen to the occasion. And they have, uh, you know, continued to perform and, and outperform and put in the time and the energy that it takes to be a great organization. Uh, we have not had one employee through the entire pandemic that has, you know, kind of taken time off, right? That is working half day and, and not working the other half uh, because people aren't checking in on them. I am 100% confident that every employee that is not in that corporate office is working 110% uh, to uh, really support the effort of the organization. And they represent the organization better now than they did pre-pandemic. Uh, and I think they even take more ownership. So I've learned more about people and learned to trust people more. Um, and that's a really good feeling. Uh, you know, Michael, I do not worry about our team and their commitment to the goal. 
I, I really don't. Uh, where, like I said, pre-pandemic, there was probably a, a lack of trust in certain individuals, or at least that question in the back of my mind, whether, uh, you know, that individual out, uh, you know, working in the field and not in a corporate office was really going to get their work done. I, I don't have that concern today at all. What did that do for you as a, the leader that you don't have that? What kind of, what the outcome of that? Uh, I, well, I think both, both Phil and I talked about this. It makes us feel really great about the team we've assembled. Uh, it makes us feel like we brought the right people, you know, to the table. Um, and, you know, anytime you can feel like I would much rather take credit for building a team and Phil would much rather take credit for building a team um, and providing that leadership to that team. I think it, it makes us feel extremely, uh, you know, confident in the group that we have out there. And it makes us feel really proud of what we've built. Uh, so I, I, we go to sleep much better at night. Uh, so it, it makes it makes us feel great. It, it really is a good feeling. Um, how do you how do you then uh, putting the trust in the people? How do you take care of yourself? How do you make sure you show up as the the best version every day? The the level the level five leader we talked about before. Yeah, I, I think you know my my love is uh, is new product, right? I love developing with owners, uh, new concepts. And so what, what keeps me going is, uh, is, is trying to stay, you know, in trend, uh, trying to, uh, you know, continue to understand what the consumer is looking for in these experiences and then working with owners to deliver them. Um, I, I have, you know, my, my wife and I have 21 and 22 year old boys. And we also have an 18-month-old daughter, and so we we are living through our you know our 20-year-olds, and we're also living through the experiences of our 18-month-old, and uh, it keeps us really young, uh, it keeps us on trend, and uh, you know I, I love it, uh, you know because constantly our 21-year-olds you know our 21 and 22-year-old are saying oh you guys are you guys are old it doesn't work that way anymore. Uh, but now they're getting older too. Um, and so we, we, we do see, you know, the, the consumer demographic and how it's changing and what the expectations are and what makes them happy. And hopefully I'll be able to see that for the next, you know, 25 years, you know, in my daughter and how she, uh, progresses. So <clears throat> that's what keeps me going. Um, I don't think I've ever said no to an experience. Uh, you know, I will skydive, I will mud bath, I will mountain bike, I will rock climb, I will, you know, I'll pretty much do it if you say, here's a new unique experience. Do you want to try this? I will try it. Um, and I hope that I can say yes to all those experiences for another 25 years. Uh, because right now I can say yes to all of them and I love all of them. Uh, and I really enjoy that part of life. Uh, and the hospitality space has enabled me to do that. Um, so th that's what keeps me going on a daily basis. That's like a constant hunger to learn and, and test yourself in, in principle. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I absolutely love that. What would you be... Uh, I have a couple more questions for you, Craig. Although one of them is one we always ask on, on the show. What is your like top advice to leaders out there that also wants to build a business as a force for good? One that both makes results, but also makes 
uh, more positive impact and just results, but also for their people, community, and uh, and the planet. Yeah, I think you know building any business is around a vision, um, and then uh, my 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 feeling is that if you're true to that vision and surround yourself with good people and then get out of the way <laughs> that you're, you're better off. Um, but it, it really starts with a vision and you as a leader uh, need to live and, and, and be a, a good um, you know, steward of that vision. But you've got to let other people execute that are experts in the field that they, you know, that they work in. Uh, you know, a leader can't be the expert at everything. Uh, a leader needs to surround himself or, or herself with experts and then get out of the way. Uh, but always support that, you know, high level vision of what uh, you want that company to be or you want that product to be. And then go out and, and be a good, uh, you know, leader of that product, a face and the name of that product. But let your people do uh, what they do best uh, and let them be part of the growth uh, and a part of how that vision, uh, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, morphs uh, because no vision stays the same and you have to be flexible and allow that vision to morph, but let your people do the, let your people do the work, let the experts do what they do best. I love that thing about the, the importance around clarity of, uh, you know, purpose and direction. You talk about that and your, your job as a leader there, because that's actually where we have to go back sometimes because when things are not working, then you have to ask yourself, as you say there, have we actually made it clear enough to people what the the purpose, vision, mission is? Uh, because that's actually where there's a disconnect with what's happening on the ground. Yeah. Well, I think you, you have to do what you say you stand for as a company. Um you know, if, if, if I'm not willing, I'll give you an example, Michael. We, we often take over hotels that are in really bad shape, really bad shape. And I expect our team members to go to that hotel and stay in that hotel and work to change, right, to affect change in that hotel. If I show up in that market and I go stay at the Four Seasons, because I can't stay in that hotel where my where I expect my employees to stay. That's not supporting your team, and that's not creating the right vision, and that's not being part of the process. Um, and so we we never do that. Phil and I never do that. We stay in our hotels. We stay where our people stay. Um, and and that that's what it what it's all about. I was out uh, you know pitching a a deal for a glamping brand. And, you know, I, I went out with the team and I lived in a van for three days and took showers in the back of the van. And we lived, we cooked over an open fire and we did that. And we did that because we wanted to know what the consumer experience was going to be like. And we wanted our employees to see what the consumer experience was going to be like. And so I feel like if you can't do it as the leader of your people, then how can you expect your people to do it? Uh, and so we, we always, we, we live by that. We will continue to live by that. Uh, I will, like I said, never say no uh, to these unique experiences and I will live it and I will feel it and I will do it just like the consumer does and just like we ask our employees to do. Uh, and as long as I can continue to lead by example, uh, by doing that, I think our employees will rally around it. Um, so that, that's, 
That's just how we do it. Great. That's been some great advice in here, Kirk, and, uh, and also uh, wisdom nuggets in here as well. If, if anyone wanted to connect with uh, the company or, or you, where did they go? Where where did they find you? Sightlinehospitality.com uh, or, uh, you know, kpetterson at sightlinehotels.com. Uh, so e- either one, but if you go to the website, uh, you can see the you know, fun, unique assets that we operate and you can connect with us right there and, and we'll, we'll be uh, you know sure to get to you as fast as we can. Great. Thank you so much for, for coming on the show today, uh, Kirk and Sherry, your, your journey, the, the way you, you operate, your plans for the future, but also your, your great advice on how to, the importance of building vision and getting your people behind it. Oh, thanks for having me. I, I enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much, Kirk, for sharing your insights on how to build stronger trust in the organization and sharing your learnings over the last two years as president of Sightline Hospitality. Now, you should ask yourself, on a scale 1 to 10, where 1 is no trust and 10 is high trust, what is the level of trust in my organization slash team? And how can we improve it? If you want to learn more about how to build a culture of trust, tune in to episode number 175 with Nisha Katona, founder and CEO of Mowgli, on big plans for small businesses. A big thank you to Biz Simply for supporting us, bringing great insights, strategies, and tools to help leaders become better every day. Check them out at bizsimply.com or on their socials at bizsimply or at bizsimplyhq. You can also email them directly at podcast at bizsimply.com. A massive thank you to Fina Johnson, who is the show producer and editor from the Podcast Collective. And I'm really appreciating you listening in and spending your time on listening to the show. So if you enjoyed today's conversation, please share, rate, review, or subscribe to one of our channels, which all can be done via the website hospitalitymavericks.com. And any feedback and ideas, please reach out to me on LinkedIn or my email, michael at hospitalitymavericks.com. And remember, you can always subscribe to the weekly newsletter Maverick Talk via hospitalitymavericks.com or click the link in the show notes. And remember, we have just released the free version of a new white paper that's called The Six Tenets of Agile Hospitality. Six tenets every leader needs to survive and thrive in a new area of hospitality. Click the link in the show notes. I'm Michael Tinkser, and you've been listening to the Hospitality Maverick podcast show. Be Maverick!